I'm going to do like the governor here and take my mask off so that you'll know I'm wearing it. Um, you probably couldn't even hear half that. And I said I was discouraged, and uh, I've been doing this long enough now to realize that when you get discouraged like that, the best thing you can do is turn it into a sermon illustration. So, if you'll allow me, I'd like to uh, spread my discouragement around and share it with all of you. In the name of Jesus, of course. We need, we need joy. And... Uh, yeah, and I think we need some, some biblical joy, and, I, and I, that, that came to me uh, this week as I was you know, really trying to figure out how do I center on this. We want, I, I wanted a seasonable message, and joy is one of those words that gets kicked around during this season along with peace, and, you know, but then I thought, wait a second, wait a second, let's just narrow it down to the one word because this is the one that we need. Part of my discouragement this week is that um, I was showing some symptoms. And uh, with those symptoms, I was starting to feel pretty bad, and I thought I've been feeling bad for a while. Now, I'm not talking about that other disease that's out there. I'm talking about... Uh, a disease you probably haven't heard of, but have experienced, and it's called uh, loss of joy, acute loss of joy. This is the 2020 version of it. Uh, it's sometimes called JOLO 2020, and um, it, it's pretty bad. And um, for those of you who haven't caught on yet, I'm making this up, okay? But I guarantee you, they don't think any harder about COVID-19 when they come up with a name for that. They ought to ask me. I'll name all these diseases for them. Anyway, JOLO 2020 is pretty bad, and one of the indicators that, that uh, you've got it is um, that cable news is driving you bananas, okay? If that happens, you, you, you've tested positive for JOLO 2020. And I got to thinking, you know, it also comes with, with symptoms of mental illness that you actually pay these people to aggravate you and you sit there passively while they are pouring their aggravation into your head. And you keep paying money for it. And then you walk away thinking, I'm informed. I just heard the news. Um, I tell you, watch out for the symptoms, folk. And you might have to do what I did. I had to have surgery. I had to cut the cable. And uh, I finally cut that thing, took in the box. It was easier than I thought. And... When I go into the, uh, the local cable store, uh, you can figure out who that is. But I got there, and they have this sign, spread only joy in this store. You must wear a mask to enter. And I'm thinking, what a wonderful, seasonable message, and, and what a grody way to have a Christmas message. I mean, this joke is just... I don't know. I don't know whether to admire it or to just groan. I mean, the more I spread only joy in this store. Aren't you glad now that we found a clever way to tell you how to wear a mask? And Oh, this reminds me of that old show, Fat Albert, when they would say, you know, you're like, you're, you're like teachers uh, with COVID-19. What's that mean? No class. You know, the, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. But I, I don't know that I spread any joy in the store, but I sure did walk out with a lot more joy because 
I felt like I had done something. My right eye offended me, or in this case, my right cable, and I plucked it out. And um, so I'm doing all right. That sign and that experience got me to thinking about joy. Joy is a word that we kick around uh, like crazy. You know, I'm going to tell you, I, I thought I, I needed to define joy. And I thought, well, no, wait a second. We all know what joy means, don't we? Or do we? The dictionary definition will say something like, the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying, keen pleasure, elation. It also means the source or cause of keen pleasure or delight. The something or someone greatly valued or appreciated. Probably the something or someone that causes keen pleasure or delight. And joy gets tied up with words like gladness and happiness. And, and, you, know, and you see a lot of devotional material and they'll say, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Maybe there is biblically. But the way we use it, not, not necessarily so. You know, the one interesting thing that I think I can say to you that maybe you did or didn't know is that when you look at the root, the, the genealogy of the word joy, where it comes from, and it comes from an old French word, joy, yeah. I, know I, I know I mispronounced it, Jean-Paul, but, it's, it, but it, it's there. But did you know that it is a remote cousin of the word yay? How about that? I mean, it, it works. So there you go. You've learned something today. The more you know. All right. The thing is, I'm concerned that we are truly overjoyed. So much so, we've put so much freight on this word that it means nothing. It's going to show up on candles and Christmas gift wrapping paper and on t-shirts and sweatshirts and sweaters. Joy, 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 joy everywhere you look. And it becomes so common that it's meaningless. Joy is hardly specific the way we use it in English. We attach it to profound happiness. The joy of the Lord will be my strength. We sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Or we talk about joy riding. Uh, we, we do everything from profound happiness to cheap thrills with this one word. Comfort and joy. And going for a joy ride. I mean, what, 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 there's such a range here. And I wonder, does it really have any meaning left at all? So the quest that I want to invite you to join me on during this holiday season is, I wonder if we can come up with an unseasonable definition of joy. That we can look for it. One that has nothing to do, I mean it has everything to do with the Christmas season in one sense, because we want joy now, but we also want to have joy in February and in... September and, and at any other time when the lights aren't up and the trees aren't up and we're not being reminded of all the other words that show up on Christmas wrapping paper. I thought I'd give you a, a definition of joy from Scripture. Go dig up the word. There's a few words in, in Greek and in Hebrew, but there's a few more also. And I think that we need a definition of joy that goes beyond words. I mean, I can sit here and I can show you three Greek words. There's, there's more like eight or nine Greek words. But I can say, now that word in Greek means joy. 
How about that? I'm glad they got it right. I mean, that's the, only, that's the only benefit that something like that does for you, is that it tells you the translators got it right. But joy in God's Word and joy in the story of God's interaction with His people goes beyond words. It's an ever-present theme in God's Word. It's there at the beginning when God declares these things good. You know, the seventh day is really God's Christmas. Because on the seventh day when He rests, He takes pleasure. He derives joy from this good creation. It's like a baker who's just made something wonderful in the kitchen. And you take joy in that. It's like a craftsman who has just made something excellent that is very useful. And you take joy in that. God takes joy in that. So joy is there at the beginning. Joy is there at the end of all things. When sadness and death are conquered forever. When sin is eradicated from this creation. And there is joy in heaven. Joy for all of us. So joy is in there. All through Scripture. Now when I say it's not just a feeling or emotion... There is feeling and emotion connected to joy. It's the way we use that word, remember? Keen pleasure or delight. All right? It's there. But it's more than just the emotional feeling and the gladness. It's also the attending attitude and it's the attending choice that goes with joy. So that one of the unique things you see in Scripture And in the story of God and the work that He does with His people is that God's people have this this confession of faith where they take joy in situations that the rest of the world cannot understand. You read through Philippians and you realize that Paul, oh, he's full of joy now, isn't he? Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. He wrote that song, you know. Uh, No. But, uh, but I guess he did since it comes from Philippians. But he says that over and over again. You know where the man is, right? He's in prison. Bad things are happening, but he chooses to rejoice. There is an attitude and a choice that goes with it. Because our joy is not in the temporary, small things of this earth. Yeah, We don't take joy in the small things. We take joy... In the godly things. Yeah. You think about all the ways that we use joy. We use joy in some interesting ways. We, uh, uh, we talk about finding joy in the small things. We talk about uh, people who will steal your joy. As if it's your lucky charms or something like that. And somebody's going to run along and grab it from you. Who's out there stealing joy? Yeah. We've got a bunch of hamburglers out there that are taking away our, our everything is so good, and then all of a sudden, here comes the, get ready for it, the killjoy. And the killjoy just robs us of all of our joy. You know, who, who, who is this? How does this happen? And all the ways that we use this term joy, it's like it's something fragile, something that can be lost, something that if the circumstances aren't just right, then we're not allowed to experience joy. That right when we think, oh, this is great, everything's okay, somebody just brings it all down. But that's not the biblical 
definition of joy. That's not the godly definition of joy. No, instead of being down and depressed, even when God's people are dismayed, even when we are discouraged, even when we are afraid, we find joy in God, not in the small things, not in the thin things, not in the temporary things. So joy is an expression, and it focuses on God rather than circumstances. And if we're learning any bad messages from our environment, it is that you are not allowed to experience joy, or you cannot experience joy unless everybody else is okay first, and then everything else is okay. And I assure you, that is the quickest path to JOLO 2020, because no one will ever get there. Over the next uh, few weeks, I want us to look at how we can cultivate joy. Joy is a, is a resource that we can cultivate, that we can refine, that we can, that, that we can produce. Uh, it's not so much that we produce it, but God gives us the resources and we allow it to grow and we allow it to mature and we learn to appreciate it. We're going to talk about the cultivation of joy. We're going to talk about the gift of joy. The joy is not something that we manu- joy is not something that depends on external situations. It's something that God gives us so that we not only experience joy, but He becomes the source of our joy. And you know, in tough times like this, we may have just given up on joy. We may have just said, well, you know, everything, you know, maybe we'll get back to joy one day. When um, all this is over, all this is better, all this is taken care of, then we can all sigh a deep breath and we'll get back to joy. Folks, if we cannot find real, unseasonable joy now, don't put your hope in the fact that we will be able to find it or manufacture it at some point in the future. Because there will always be something else. Yes, we've, I mean, we've, we've got news of a vaccine. A vaccine is right around the corner. And some leaders, some people, some of us, we've got less joy than we did back in the middle of the summer when we didn't even see a light at the end of the tunnel. How is that? It's because as long as our joy is attached to something out there or the circumstances around us, I'm not so sure it's joy. But God shows us a way of joy that transcends any circumstances. And I want to leave you right now with this solid definition of joy rooted in Jesus Christ. And I want this to be the image that takes us to the Lord's Supper. You'll find it in Hebrews 12. And in Hebrews 12, you know, the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage a discouraged group of believers. All of Hebrews, Hebrews is not a letter, it's a sermon. It's a sermon, and in that sermon, he's encouraging the churches not to give up, not to lose heart, but to keep going. And so, after everything that he's had to say, right up before chapter 12, he sums it up with this kind of last point of the sermon 
let's fix our eyes on Jesus. That's a way, you understand what he's saying there, right? You know, sometimes we want to close our eyes and dwell on Jesus. Now, open them. See Jesus. He's with us. He's here. He's in this Lord's Supper. He's in the Lord's Supper that you will partake. He's in here. Jesus is ever-present. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Know Jesus. He is faith's pioneer and perfecter. Some of your translations are going to say the author and the finisher of our faith. The beginning and the end. He's the full definition. He has the first word and the last word when it comes to our faith. Now, here's the line that ought to give us something to think about. Jesus endured the cross, ignoring the shame. Now, pause button. Ignoring the shame? What's all that talk of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see, that's in the midst of the crucifixion. Jesus knew what the cross was going to mean, and he said, that's all right, we'll do this anyway. And we're a bit removed from the ugliness, the horrific effect of crucifixion. The atrocities that we've seen this year, uh, committed around the world, even committed in our own country, uh, when we see people treated brutally, when we see people behaving horribly towards one another, that's just a fraction of the ugliness of crucifixion. Because in crucifixion, it is definitely a state-mandated, an empire-mandated form of punishment that was not only meant to cause you pain, but it was meant to send a message to everyone else that this is what happens if you mess with our power. Jesus just ignores that. And He endures the pain and the suffering. Why? Keep reading. For the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of Him. He's saying, I will endure this. I will look aside at the shame for the joy. It's laid out on the other side of this crucifixion. And then God honors that because He is going to be exalted or he will sit down at the right side of God's throne. In Hebrews, this is the image of an athlete. This is the image of a warrior. This is the image of someone running a race who says, I will get through this to the other side to experience the victory. And when we fix our eyes on him, we realize, you know what? He's already set the path ahead of us. It's so much easier to go somewhere when somebody's already blazed the trail in front of you. We take it for granted. We travel on roads that very few of us made. We walk on paths. I'm not talking metaphorically. I'm talking about literally. I mean, can you imagine if you had to wake up this morning and said, boy, I need to go to church. I guess I'd better create I-49 and get over here. It's already there. You just have to follow it. Likewise, with Jesus. You're thinking, this, this 2020 is doing me in. I think Benjamin's right. I've got JLo 2020. I've even got the more advanced form of it. Okay. 
what, whatever you, know, you want to call this disease. But Jesus has endured discouragement. He has endured the things that can erase joy. And we have his path to follow. When we come to the communion and we think about the cross, and when we will, some of us, close our eyes and meditate on that, or we'll read a scripture and we'll consider what he did for us, how often do we think, but what gets him through that? Because yes, he's the Son of God. But he's not some superhuman that laughs off the cross. The nails don't break when they're trying to nail it into his hands and feet. He's not just content knowing that in three days he'll rise again. He's experiencing all of it. What keeps him from giving up? Well, the answer is right here in Hebrews. The joy laid out in front of him. It's for the sake of that that he endured. Now, I don't know about you, but that, to me, that kind of joy is a lot richer, a lot more refined, a lot more deep than anything I see being discussed you know, in general in our use of the word joy. Would you agree? Yeah. That's the kind of joy I want to find. That's the kind of joy I want to know more about. And I guess today we'll do that by seeking it in the Lord's Supper table. But let's go on a quest. Let's go on a search for this unseasonable, Christ-like joy. And I think God will give it to us. Would you pray with me? Father, we come seeking that joy that enables us to endure shame and pain and worry and fear. Fix our eyes on the one who defines our faith. Fix our eyes on the one who has blazed the trail before us so that we might know the definition of that real joy, that that deeper joy that enabled Him to stay obedient because there was something worth more than the bad things in this world. Father, thank you for setting a table out before us in the presence of our enemies. For this we are truly grateful. Father, it's to you that we ascribe all honor, all praise, all glory. In his name, amen.